When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Man vs. Machine is back, Dario. And today we are talking the NFC West projections. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. You know, just just another day of waking up and turning the machine back on and getting to work. And, you know, we're grinding through it. I mean, the big, big changes to the Dynasty rankings coming. I mean, we got, we're testing out a very, very unique feature that I don't think any other Dynasty rankings in the industry have right now. So, very excited for the day when we're going to be rolling that out really soon. And yeah, just just another week. How about you, Billy? Another week, man. I've been busy. We've been uh, doing data analysis updates on the backside again. As you mentioned, you know, updating, updating that. We've just been getting things ready for the draft kit, which is supposed to launch here next week. Uh, and so we're getting some, some sponsors lined up. So there's been a lot on the backside from an operational standpoint. And of course... You and I are still plugging away at projections, making sure we're getting things updated. We updated them again yesterday, moved some players around. I know there was some internal debate at the 101 for the receiver position, and um, we did make some changes there. So if you haven't seen them, head on over to the site, playerprofiler.com. Take a look at the updated rankings because there has been some shuffles. Move people around. We got, we got a new 101 at the receiver. It's no longer Justin Jefferson. I just want to throw that out there. And just so make sure you go over and take a look and see who it is. I know I know you weren't that crazy about the about the change, Dario. Yeah, I I will say I think it's I mean, I remember when we had a Jamar Chase versus Tyreek Hill at the wide receiver two spot a couple of weeks ago on this very show. So to me, I I I I think I'm still on the bandwagon that Justin Jefferson is in a tier of his own, but I mean I'm not the only one doing projections anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> got got a got a got you win some you lose some. <laughs> we also have um there was a, a, a I forget the, the actual stat. I think Theo was the one who mentioned it to me, but we have not had a back to back receiver wide receiver one finish number one in back to back years since whatever date it was. I think it was like 2016 or something like that. Um yeah, Antonio it, Brown did it like three years in a row, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it's but since then I don't think we have had one since that time. And so well, I mean, Cooper Cup did it. If you think about points per game, oh yeah, but he, he didn't do it for the whole season. Not and I don't know. To me, season. to me, that hokey historical stuff like that is so so <laughs> meaningless to me. Like, I'm not going to get all superstitious just because he was the wide receiver one last year that he can't do it again because it hasn't. It's 2016 is not even 10 years ago. Like, that's that's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> irrelevant well let's talk about some relevant players let's sh- should we skip arizona then and just dive right into like the niners or um no, yeah, we'll no start- this, <laughs> this division i mean yeah have we introduced the, the episode yet we're going to be talking about the nfc west projections today and yeah there, there's some some real stinkers in this division and there's some some weird interesting offenses to unpack Before we dive in, though, let's get a quick word from the sponsor and then we'll hop in in the NFC West. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. eh, Baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, RivalFantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points and they have challenges. But you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure 
out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about fantasy bingo where you can say, okay, I think Acuna is going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman is going to have two hits based on the matchup. The lefty righty and the pitcher quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to rivalfantasy.com, use the promo code player. They refund any losses up to 50 bucks. And they are a great supporter of Player Profiler. Everything we do, this show in particular, is only possible because of Rival. RivalFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER. All right, well, let's kick it off with Arizona. We'll just kind of move down the list alphabetically inside the NFC West. Kyler Murray comes in our projections. We are not projecting him for an entire season. If we did, he'd be much higher on the projections. Uh, that being said, inside the season-long projections, he comes in as quarterback, um, just points-wise, quarterback 28. However, we adjusted him manually because of his points per game. And on the website, Dario, where, where does he come on the website again? Uh, let me double-check. I think it's somewhere around quarterback 14 off the top of my head. Um, definitely, you know, he, if you look at just points 15, per game, close. he's, he's going to, he's going to be quarterback eight or qu- quarterback nine in our just straight up points per game projections. So we, we expect him to play about 11 games and that would leave him just behind Justin Fields and Deshaun Watson. Once, once these guys are all on a level, healthy playing field, obviously recovering from an ACL is, is no small feat that's going to take. Definitely some some weeks for Kyler Murray to be back to his full self, I think. So to me, this offense is being properly faded into oblivion. Like <laughs> it's it's I mean, I think that when, when you're talking about best ball specifically and the really high upside of weeks 15, 16, 17, I think that there's a little bit of intrigue, but the the reason the lack of excitement toward this team as a whole, I think is it's pretty well justified. Yeah, they have one of the lowest over/under win totals in Vegas at five point five. Last year, we saw a four and thirteen record. I don't think it's going to be much better than that this year with Kyler Murray shelving beginning of the season. DeAndre Hopkins still potentially on the move. At, at, although he said he's still in Arizona, I don't think he's going to be in Arizona. What do you think about about DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, there was that weird like I think Brandon Marshall. He went on like Brandon Marshall's podcast the other day, and they were asking him about other quarterbacks he'd like to play with. And uh, I, I'm definitely getting a similar vibes to, to what you said, where it's still, it, I don't fully believe that he's going to be on Arizona just yet for, for this season, which is potentially really good for best ball values. Like Rondale Moore, like, mm-hmm. like Greg Dortch, like Michael Marquise Wilson. Brown, even Marquise Brown is, is, is the easy one, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- these guys, um, there's there's a lot of question marks in this offense because of that. I mean, Kyler Murray's not the only one recovering from an ACL tear. So is Zach Ertz. And Zach Ertz is obviously on the wrong side of 30. So kind of a, a mix of way too old and then totally unproven and then Kyler Murray for this offense. I mean, I think that, you know, people as of draft night of this season, people were talking about if the Cardinals do get that number one pick because they have their pick and the Texans pick now next year, if if they get that number one pick, like how do you not take Caleb Williams and just push the reset button on this whole thing like they did when they got Kyler the year after Josh Rosen? Yeah, this team's kind of a mess. And I think I've been drafting these players as if DeAndre Hopkins is gone. I've kind of assumed he's been gone. I've, we, you and I adjusted the projections during draft night because we had to because of of the changes inside the receiving core. Um, but we adjusted it as if he was still there. But in my mind, I'm still thinking that he's gone. And I've been drafting best ball teams. I've been hyper focusing Rondell Moore. I've been actually attacking late tight end builds with um, Zach Ertz just because you can get him so late in drafts, and he does have upside late in the season, right? It, this offense may actually start performing above their expected win total when it matters most in fantasy, right? You're in the mm-hmm. weeks 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you get into fantasy playoffs. You have Kyler Murray back on the field. You have Rondell Moore. You have Zach Ertz on the field. You have Marquise, Marquise Brown. And you could see this offense start to kind of click then. It's probably too little too late from an NFL perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, 
to me, it makes sense to target these guys as, as cheap as they've been going. And so mm-hmm. I've been mixing them in, especially Rondell Moore, um, because he has been going so late in drafts. And if we do see DeAndre Hopkins moved, I mean, we're potentially talking about, you know, 100, 110 targets plus for Rondell Moore. If he can stay healthy, that's, that's of course, the big if. Um, but I, I do think there's value to be had at these positions. Like, for instance, like we have 22% of the target share right now distributing to DeAndre Hopkins. And there's already 77 vacated targets in this offense. Hopkins had 96 targets last year on just nine games. And so if we were to account for his 22% right now, which is 130 targets, that's going to put them over 200 vacated targets in this offense if DeAndre Hopkins is in fact moved, which just opens up so much targets for this this offense. That's going to immediately boost up Marquise Brown, immediately boost up Rondale Moore. I mean, hell, even at that point, I'd probably start considering Michael Wilson now, who they drafted this year, right? And so mm-hmm. stylistically, Michael Wilson is is very much in a similar mold to DeAndre Hopkins, like just lanky, bigger receiver, wins, wins, you know, at a contested catch point. So I think that, you know, in terms of when we're talking about rookie drafts and we're talking about rookie wide receivers, I feel like that, that's been the entire conversation around Wilson is if Hopkins leaves, it's the only way he's going to see the field in year one. And like you said, I don't think that I, I don't think that um, we're totally out of the woods in terms of Hopkins staying on the Cardinals. And I mean, we haven't even started talking about this team's running back room because this is this is James Conner and then a couple bodies. And James Conner is he's he's still chugging along, but also still James Conner. So. <laughs> it's kind of uh we still have stored we still have a placeholder in this backfield because we assume someone's going to land here uh we don't think it's going to be you know keontae ingram as the number two although it's starting to look more and more likely i think we need to start shifting some of these placeholder carries into this this these other running backs here between clement and ingram because there's no one else yet who's signed I would expect them to get somebody like a Hunt, like a Fournette, like another free agent, veteran free agent presence to add to this mm-hmm. backfield with Connor. Um, but as of today, they don't. And so we, I would say, within the next you know week or two, we need to start distributing some of these 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 touches. For sure, yeah. And you know, Connor, he's going to be twenty eight this season. He's you know never been a guy who's gotten more than like four and a half yards per carry. So. It's just kind of a, kind of going to continue being a, a dusty plotter, I think. But where he brings us value in fantasy, of course, is in the receiving game. And I think that, you know, if you're talking about a running back who's on a team that's going to be losing a lot of games, who's going to be on the field on third downs, and who has that history as a pass catcher. I mean, the last time he caught less than 35 passes was his rookie year. So I think that that's where his sneaky value presents itself. I mean... His ADP on FFPC right now is 81.9. And in our overall rankings right now, we have him as 68. So we we do think that he's being undervalued a little bit, kind of in the same vein as a Joe Mixon, where they're just kind of these boring old guys who no one's like excited to push the button on. But right now, I mean, his role is as secure as anyone else is in the NFL until they sign someone else, like you said, which we kind of expect them to. What'd you say his ADP was at FPC? 81.9, according to our player pages. Jeez, yeah, we do. We're, we're, we're about a round higher than on. That's that's great. Yeah, volume, volume's king. And right now, he's the only body back there that's worth, worth you know, a damn, honestly. Um, let's, let's move on to the Rams. So this is another team. This went from like, the toughest division of football to now just two teams, right? The Rams were totally Arizona was always tough. Seattle was always tough. This division has kind of fallen apart as of late because, you know, the Rams aren't, aren't looking that scary anymore. I mean, Matt Stafford's getting older. The the line is, is horrible. Um, The backfield right now is, is divided amongst Cam Akers, Kyron Williams and Ronnie Rivers. You could in Zach Evans, of course, but um the receiving game, I mean, it's Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, and then, you know, a bunch of target shares like Ben Skarnick, Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> Out of BYU. 
I'm still trying to, to get the pronunciation of some of these rookies. Um, Tyler Higby is intriguing this year as well, but let's let's break down Stafford first. So uh, again, quarterbacks we 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 project unless it's coming off injury or the rushing quarterback, we usually project for 16 games. Um, we have him throwing the ball for a little over 4,000 yards. We have him for just under 28 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Uh, not much on the ground, but you can't expect a lot on the ground from Stafford anyways. Um, and then we get into the running backs. Cam Akers, one of the few running backs in the league that we have projected for over 50% rush share. We have him for 53% of the rush share. Uh, in this offense, though, that's only 225 attempts as of today. Just under 1,000 yards, 964, and we have him for seven touchdowns. This is where it gets interesting, is the RB2, right? Uh, the debate is between Kyron Williams. The debate is also between Zach Evans. I think you and I are in, in lockstep here. I still think it's going to be Kyron Williams, at least to start the year. I, I think he is still probably the favorite at the position. But what's your opinion on this backfield are you targeting Zach Evans anywhere as an RB2? Would you prefer Kyron Williams? What is your take on this backfield? Uh, for me, it's it's tough to stomach drafting either of Evans <laughs> or, or I mean, Kyron Williams. It seems like the Rams are going for that. Both two years in a row, they've gone for that mold of running back that the entire fantasy community falls out of love with on the day of the combine, right? It's like Kyron Williams. I remember last year, was the, he ran the four, seven something at, you know, however small he is. And it was like, okay, written off completely. I think he was a fifth round pick. Zach Evans as well. Everyone was like, oh, he'll be 215 and he'll run, you know, some. And then he just, he ran, he ran slow. He weighed in lighter than he was supposed to. So all of a sudden he's looking like a guy who doesn't have the requisite size or speed. And then what do you know? They end up in the same backfield. So chances are, one of these guys is going to get some touches, but yeah, I mean, he ran Evans ran a four five one at his pro day. I think that people were optimistic that he would be more of a two hundred and fifteen pound guy running a low four fours. So very, very tough to talk myself into either of these profiles too seriously. I think they're they're still dart throw candidates because we've seen Cam Akers get you know into beef with with Sean McVay for no apparent reason. So I think that that's interesting, but I think also the way that fantasy analysts as a community, and we've thought about this offense for years now is being that RB one in the Rams offense is a, is a valuable role. And that's going to be the case less so this year than we've seen. I think probably at any point in Sean McVay's tenure, like there were games last year where I mean, I remember it was like, oh, stream Daryl Henderson, stream Daryl Henderson, because he's going to be the RB1 this week for the Rams. And it's like that that RB1 position for the Rams is no longer as valuable because they're probably not going to be playing from ahead many games this year. They don't have nearly as dynamic of an offensive line as they did before. And the other threats that there are to worry about in this offense to keep you honest in defending the running game are gone now. It's just Cooper Cup. So I think that I'm probably still not too inclined on either of Kyron or Zach Evans. I think that's fair. Yeah, it's Cam Akers is an interesting one this year, right? Just because we assume it's going to be primarily his backfield, but we know that he has a history of pissing off Sean McVay and and kind of losing that role. Uh, It's hard to trust him fully, but I think that if he is able to, you know, maintain this role all year, he's going to be, you know, a massive value in drafts this season. Hmm. Definitely. Receiving core. Oh, man. This receiving core. (laughs) Who is the number two? I mean, who do you trust here besides Cooper Cup? I I mean, you could argue Tyler Higby is the number two option right now, which is also now at a discount in the league. We have we have Higby projected as number two with 14 and a half percent of the target share. We have Van Jefferson as the number three option, number two receiver at 14% target share. And then we have it Ben Skowernek, and then we have it Tutu Atwell, and then we have it Puka Nakua. How do you, th- do you think it breaks down exactly how we have it projected or what's your take here? I do think we have it in the right order. I mean, Tyler Higby has a chance to exceed this, you know, 80 targets. Last year he had 108. So, I mean, we're kind of projecting a little bit of a deflation for him, even though 
the opportunity is still going to be good. But I think that some of those games that Tyler Higby had with 14 targets, 11 targets, it's it's hard to see those <laughs> happening very often again this year. I mean, I think that the fact that he's capable of that is why he's more valuable than a Van Jefferson who, I'm, I mean, off the top of my head, it feels like he's never had a five target game in his life, you know? So I think that, I think that that aspect of it does make Higby the slightly more valuable number two, but it's still like, I mean, gosh, Higby's ADP is, 140 over on FFPC. This is a this is this offense is a one man show, and it's going to be Cooper Cup. And I think that, frankly, when we right before we started this show today, when I was you know doing prep, looking through the NFC West projections, I'm kind of skittish about keeping Stafford at that 16 game projection. To be honest with you, I mean, a neck injury is nothing to mess around with. He had some serious concussions. There were conversations of him retiring this off season. So I think that the wheels, the wheels have already fallen off the dominant Rams that, that we got used to, but I mean, we saw how bad it got with, with the backup quarterbacks last year. I mean, it was Bryce Perkins and then John Wolford, Wolford getting hurt too. And this, this offense can be a real, real disaster. If, if, if Matt Stafford misses any more time. And, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah. I, I I completely agree, especially the one thing this division still is, is tough on defense, right? The offenses might be a little bit lackluster in 2023, with the exception of of maybe the Niners and, and Seattle, but uh, the defenses are still stout. So Higby gets to face, you know, some, some pretty good defenses twice a year um, to the Niners, the, the Seattle and, and Arizona. Um I do think Higby Doe still has a chance to see some of those double-digit target games in this offense just because it's it's going to be necessity. I mean, I don't think that we're going to see someone like, you know, Tutu Atwell or Ben Skornick or, or, or Puka Nakua just kind of take off and, and command a target share. I mean, it's going to be funnel through Cooper Cup, as we, just, as we know. Um, but when they double-team him, that's going to open up the field. And I think that Tyler Higby is going to be the next best option. This offense still has, you know, 60-plus vacated targets um, up for grabs. And we saw Allen Robinson leave as well. Um, so there's there's still some option in this passing game, or opportunity, I should say, for them to kind of capture. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it breaks down. Um, let's move on to Seattle. Seattle's an interesting one this year. So Geno Smith coming off again, the uh, comeback player of the year. We have projected for 16 games, 3,800 passing yards has changed, 26 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Um, a little bit more on the ground than we saw uh, above, which is 55 attempts, 250 rushing yards, and two and a half scores on the ground. So interesting because they go out, they re-sign Geno Smith, and they still have DK Metcalf. They still have Tyler Lockett. They go out and draft Jackson Smith and Jigba. No one's really talking about Geno Smith this year, but they're setting him up to succeed in this offense with the weapons that they have. They get Zach Charbonnet as well. Do you like Geno this year? Man, Geno is probably my favorite sneaky quarterback right now. I mean, if you look at just where quarterback twos are in ADP, there's, I don't, I don't think, I mean, he finished as the quarterback five last year in total points. Quarterback eight, in points per game. And this year, I mean, we have him ranked as the quarterback 17. That just feels, it feels a little bit disrespectful because there's a lot of good options in front of him. I mean, there's good cases to be made for Aaron Rodgers, Tua, Daniel Jones. But man, I, I'm fully Geno pilled. Like I'm very excited to see him with three quality wide receivers right there. I mean, Drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is really going to unlock Tyler Lockett as a, as a deep threat. And I think just having those two, those three skill sets all working together, it, it, I'm really excited. Yeah, just this is honestly the offense that I was most looking forward to talking about today because Gino was pinpoint accurate last year. I think that drafting Charbonnet also is going to help Gino. He's a bit more of a pass catcher than Kenneth Walker is, and I think that. He's going to mix in nicely. They kind of have very different skill sets as running backs because Kenneth Walker is much more of a home run hitting running back and 
Charbonnet is kind of a ground and pound. He'll get you that three or four yards higher success rate, and he can get those receptions out of the backfield. Obviously, it sucks that they both are nuking each other's dynasty value right now, but I think in terms of just being in an NFL offense, I think that it's very encouraging for Geno to have this much investment in the skill positions around him. And we just go over to, I'm curious what his underdog ADP is right now, because whatever it is, it's, it's probably too low. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's quarterback 16. I mean, I think that, I mean, if, if Geno repeated what he did last year, I don't think that would be shocking to any of us. I mean, it, it was, it was a pleasant surprise last year, but but an improvement in the surrounding talent. Another year as a starter in the system. I mean, this time last season, it was not clear whether Drew Locke or Geno Smith would be the starter for the Seahawks. I mean, it's crazy to say that now, but there was there was genuine debate of people who wanted to see what Drew Locke had in him, and the Seahawks were talking about how happy they were that they traded Russ to the Broncos specifically because they got Drew Locke in return. There was some serious uncertainty. And now Geno Smith is going into the offseason as the QB one. They're investing in weapons for him. We think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a legit NFL receiver. Number one in the breakout finder, obviously. And yeah, I mean, have I, have I said enough about why people should draft Geno or I think we need to go through every metric. He was top five in, which was a <laughs> lot. I'm going to do it. True completion percentage. Number four, deep ball completion percentage. Number five, Pressure completion percentage, number five. Play action completion percentage, number three. Clean pocket completion percentage, number three. I think you already mentioned um, the accuracy. So QBR, number six, close enough to number five. Production premium, number four. Deep ball accuracy rating, number three. Under pressure accuracy rating, number three. Pressured catchable pass rate, number five. Completion percentage versus man, number three. Passer rating versus man number six. These ones are close enough. We're going to talk about these ones too. Accuracy rating versus man number seven. And then we have carries <laughs> number eight. I, wow. I, would have, I would have known that. Would you have thought about that off the top of your head? I remember he had, some, he had some sneaky rushing games last year for sure. It's 68. He had 68 carries last year. That's, and then, I mean, I if think, you would have quizzed me right now on the spot, I would have taken the under on that. Yeah. I would have yeah, thought like 50 I mean, 50 ish, you know? Sneaky, sneaky running Geno now. And then also, I think that, you know, when we think of this Seahawks offense, like you think of Pete Carroll and you think of them not letting Russ cook. And so there's this perception that they're holding, kind of kind of holding back their punches. They're not super willing to go pass heavy. But Geno Smith was number seven in air yards last year. I mean, he had 268 air yards per game, seventh in the league. And with Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator, I think that, they're in a, we need to move were, Gino up. Should we do it live? Yeah. Should we just well, move him up? I think we should, I think we do. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, another thing I noticed too is you know we talk, we look at the balance of of the rushing or the receiving versus the quarterback stats, and just based on the receiving talent that Gino has, I mean, I think he's he's due for some better passing stats. All right, let's play rapid fire. You're on the clock, Daniel Jones, Gino Smith. Man, I think it's tough because Daniel Jones is like sneaky too. All all these guys, this tier of quarterbacks is make is, a pick. You got thirty seconds, twenty seconds, Gino. 10 seconds, still Gino. Okay. Tua or Gino? Oh man, you know I have a soft spot for Tua, but I think, I mean, I could see. I think that maybe what we need to do is get both 20, of these guys ahead of Kirk Cousins. Oh, okay, okay, I could see that. Okay, on the clock, you have you, you got like five seconds left to pick Tua or Gino. Four. <laughs> Three, two, one. Probably Gino. Okay. All right. <laughs> Kirk Cousins or Gino? I, I think that this one is is, is Gino for sure. Probably. <laughs> let's, let's stop it there. Quarterback thirteen behind behind Aaron, Rodgers. Aaron Aaron Rodgers or Gino? I I have a pretty strong personal distaste for Aaron Rodgers. Um, as a, <laughs> but I think that I think that. I think that Gino is quarterback 13 really checks out for us here because Kirk Cousins, I mean, that that, that offense, I, I think that there's some genuine concern now. I mean, I like that they added Jordan Addison too. So you're talking about two quarterbacks who have a new rookie weapon. I think that, oh God, it's, it's going to be splitting hairs between quarterbacks 
12 and 16 there when you were in draft okay, well, this let's, season. Let's dive into the numbers because this is this is good. This is great discussion because this is where like accuracy matters, right? Like this is where leagues are won. Like if you take if you get a quarterback who's now a back end quarterback one, and you drafted him as like this mid range quarterback two. This is where you make money in fantasy, right? Like last year, you look at somebody like Fields. Fields was going outside the top 15 of the position, finished finished inside the top 10, right? Finished inside the top five. You had several quarterbacks who were doing the same. You had like Goff, right? Who was going outside the top 15th position. And so if Gino was another one, Gino was top five last year, right? I think he was number, was he five or four? In points yeah, per game, QB, he was number eight. QB eight. Points in points, points per, game. per game. But in total fantasy But I mean, points, he, he was being drafted like barely off you, the face of the earth. Like he was 20 something. Like, Yeah. And so this is what I'm talking about. If you can get, so he he, he finished as in, in total points. Let me pull it up. Remember, I just wrote something on this. I should have it actually. Let me find my piece. One second. All right. Where is it? Here it is. Okay. So he, last year we had, Geno Smith, yep, was fifth overall in total points. Came with 314.9 fantasy points, right? And so he, again, being hardly even drafted last year. They added all these weapons. The debate for me is passing volume, right? So we have Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, who we have projected as, I think, top eight in expected pass Mm -hmm. plays, right? Let me organize these. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth. Okay, where's Seattle on here? Yeah, that's the thing. After after I said Kirk or Gino over Kirk, I you know the Kevin O'Connell aspect of it is tough to overlook because I do think that I think that the Vikings are going to regress as a team. They're going to have more game scripts that are actually mm-hmm. favorable for Kirk Cousins, just like padding his stats. And I, I mean, I didn't. I think that you know, especially just talking about the air yards a second ago with Gino. I don't know if I realize that they were still they're still kind of toward the bottom of last year's pass volume, even though Gino was kind of airing it out. So yeah, bottom 10 in our expected pass plays this year. So it, maybe we do have them in the right spot. I could see an argument to be had above Tua, but I can also see an argument for Tua to be above him. Um, the one that I think is the most interesting is Daniel Jones versus Gino, because they both have a little bit of running aspect to him. Right, they're both gonna be like. Where is New York on here? They're right next to each other. So look at that: five hundred fifty-four expected pass attempts in our in our model versus five hundred forty-eight. So this is mm-hmm. where the discussion gets interesting because I think that we have Gino who has who has better weapons, right? But Daniel Jones might have a few more few more rushes, right? We saw how efficient he was on the ground last year, um, and I think this is where it gets interesting because. He can he can break off. So there was games that we had 107 rushing yards in one game last year for for Daniel Jones. It was another 70, a 50, a 91, and so 78. Where Gino, on the other hand, right, he he was kind of constantly in that 20 to 50 range. So maybe we do have it right. I'm kind of leaning. I'm kind of thinking Gino kind of belongs where we have him right there at the 16, 17 range. You want to move him today? I think. I think the thing that's interesting about so our you know our formula for fi- figuring out projected pass volume is is heavily weighed toward last season but it still factors in the year before mm-hmm. and 2 years ago Seattle was the slowest offense in the league they ran the fewest plays I mean they ran less plays in 2021 than the Falcons or the Bears ran in 2022 I mean they were just completely abysmal yeah, they're pretty bad on that front so I think that the projection for just simple play volume on the Seahawks might be still a little bit too negative based on that. But I do think that they're, they're not going to keep up with the Minnesotas of the world. So it's, it's tough to say. And I think that the thing with Daniel Jones, at least for me is it's hard to completely buy into him being the quarterback that they're paying him to be. I mean, he earned that contract. He had a good year last year, but I think it's tough to completely be bought in on his total rebirth and that he's going to continue to be as efficient as a passer. I mean, he didn't give you much value as a passer last year. It was a lot of it was on the ground, but I think it's, it's just going to be tough to 
I think it's going to be tougher for Daniel Jones to repeat what he did last year than it is for Geno Smith to repeat what he did last year. And Geno Smith outscored Danny Dimes last year anyway. So I think that um, I, I don't mind having him out of Jones. Looking at the passing volume, I'm going to make an adjustment here. So he had 572 attempts last year. You bring up a good point that it does take into consideration two years ago. It's 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 a nice it's a nice formula that we have there. So if we did bump this up, even kind of split the difference, which is 20, what is that? 24. That's roughly a little over one a game. So we could just even say 560. Let's give him 12, 12 more, right? Where did that move him? Did that move him? It probably moved him because he was only a couple points behind Daniel Jones. Yeah, that moved him up ahead of Tua. To, to be our QB 14, which which feels fine. I mean, he's now one-tenth of a point behind Cousins and two points behind Rodgers. Like this, I think... There's only 12 more pass attempts. That's all that was. Yeah. This tier from Rodgers, Cousins, Geno, Tua, Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, and Jared Goff, QB 12 to 18, that's where a lot of money is going to be won in Superflex mm-hmm. this year. One or two of those guys are going to massively overperform. Yep. And I mean, sitting here today, I think Gino is one of the ones that I can see that that leap in touchdown rate coming from him. I think, you know, obviously Tua, if he stays healthy, but yeah, it's it's just a really tight bunch right there. It is. Okay. I'm going to keep it 12, 12 targets or 12 attempts. We gave him 12 more attempts there and moved him up to QB 14. I'm happy with it. Look at that live projection updates on the show with man versus machine. Uh, Let's move on. Last team in the division. Let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. My team over here, San Francisco 49ers, my San Francisco 49ers. Uh, And I got to, I I just, I got to start off by giving you credit on, on the Brock Purdy call. Cause I remember Back in February, you're like, it's gonna be pretty, it's gonna be pretty. And I was like, Are you or is this guy crazy? Like said in January, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this this guy must be nuts. I mean, this Purdy's the seventh rounder. It seemed like with the weapons the 49ers had, I could I could have stepped in and played quarterback and looked half decent, you know? Yeah, I I have that 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 tweet pinned just ready to rock and roll once once it's official, right? And uh <laughs> It's it's I'm just just sleep just just sitting on it, Dario. It's just brewing. Um, no, it's just I've been watching this team for a long time, and quarterback too long, too long right? <laughs> Reliving the glory days with the Steve Young and and Joe Montana, but we had quarterback has been the one piece, the one missing piece of this offense. One could argue had they got Tom Brady when he was a free agent before he went to Tampa Bay that we would have won two or three Super Bowls <laughs> during that three-year stretch. Did you think we made it with Jimmy Garoppolo? We, you know, we, we had this hodgepodge of the position, and it, it's the defense has been there. The offense has been there. It's just been the quarterback position. And so I know people say Brock Purdy is just a system quarterback. Brock Purdy is just a system quarterback. But guess what? That's all you need inside this offense is somebody to run this offense. You don't need somebody to go out and throw the ball 55 yards down the field, 60 yards down the field. You just need to get the ball in the playmaker's hands. You have Christian McCaffrey. You have Debo Samuel. You have so many weapons here. I didn't even mention George Kittle, right? Like Or Brandon Ayuk. Like, or Brandon Ayuk, right? You could even talk about the best fullback in football with Kyle Juszczyk if you wanted to, <laughs> right? There is you don't have to though. <laughs> there there are so many weapons that if you just get them in the playmaker's hands, they are going to get yards after contact. And so that's why I think Brock Purdy excelled in this offense. He was getting the ball out quick. He was getting it to his playmakers and letting them do damage after the after after the the fact. And that's all we needed. I did not like what I saw from Trey Lance. His mechanics look sloppy. He tried to tuck and run too often, try to take it on as himself. Don't get me wrong. He is a far superior athlete than Brock Purdy. He is much more athletic. He has a way bigger arm than Brock Purdy. But Brock Purdy just looked the part in this offense. He was comfortable. He made through his progressions. We saw him get to his second, third looks on multiple plays. And so that to me... Was like it's hard to teach people to have that type of poise in the pocket as a rookie running the West Coast offense with Shanahan. Like it just doesn't happen like that. 
often. And so I think another thing too, that is really not working in Lance's favor at this point. The last time he played a full season of snaps at quarterback was 2019. I mean, people forget that he only played one game his junior year of college before coming out. He had a complete red shirt year, his rookie year in the NFL. And last year he plays two games before he breaks his ankle. So now you're talking about a quarterback who everyone knew he was a raw prospect. And now he's going to have, you know, not played full time in three seasons. It just seems like there's a lot of things not working in his favor. And especially, I mean, at the time that, that you were saying this already about Purdy and I was still pretty skeptical, you know, it's like it was the third overall pick they spent on Lance still, you know, the idea of them unlocking this higher ceiling upside of this offense with him was um, still very realistic to me. But now the way that they've been talking about him all offseason, it really just seems it seems more likely to me that they would trade Lance than they would declare him the starter ahead of Purdy, which I couldn't have believed myself saying that <laughs> six months ago. But here we are. So there's just I know people are just so skeptical with Purdy. The numbers just don't lie. And I know we have a, a pretty limited window, but it's enough to get a sample size out of. Oh, God. <laughs> I wrote an article a while back on Purdy about why he is the undeniable starter in this offense. He finished number eight in completion percentage against all qualified targets here was 69.8% completion percentage. It placed him among some of the most accurate, which was we talked about how accurate Geno Smith was last year. We talked about, we've always talked about Joe Burrow, right? So he, this placed him 69.8. This placed him, Geno Smith was 69.8. Joe Burrow was 68.5. Justin Herbert was 68.2. Matt Stafford was 68%. And then you also had Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, and Patrick Mahomes all right there as well. Furthermore, Purdy ranked number two in yards per attempt with an impressive 8.3 yards per attempt, Dario. So again, this actually demonstrated, this is, this fact you would think would demonstrate him getting the ball down the field, but it just talks about his playmaker. The, yeah, the yards after the catch per reception that he was getting from mm-hmm. his weapons, it's it's night and day. For, like He's not playing the same sport as all the other quarterbacks in the NFL. I would, I would take it that far because the scheme that Shanahan runs and the weapons that he has at his disposal between... Like you said, I mean, those, you remember those two touchdown games for Kittle? It seemed like every other week last year. Mm-hmm. I remember I, that they finally play, were using him properly. That play is seared into my brain where they the faked a fake. screen to the left and yeah. faked a screen to the right. And then it was just Kittle walking down the middle of the field <laughs> for the touchdown. And I was just like, this is so, he's just playing with like he's a man among boys right now with these. <laughs> so Purdy ranked number two in yards per attempt. He was behind Tua, so again, speaking to the weapons, right, uh, of, of getting the yards after the, after, the, after the play. Brock Purdy, 8.3. Tua was 8.9. Patrick Mahomes was third at 8.0. Jimmy G was 7.9. So we had two S, SF quarterbacks inside the top five here, and then Jalen Hurts at 7.8. This is, I'm going to, I want to quiz you here, and I don't expect you to know the answer. If you do, you truly are the machine. <laughs> Who led the NFL? In touchdown rate last year, and what was the percent? Oh, what's what? What's the qualifier on on snaps here? Two hundred and fifty snaps. Okay, so it's <laughs> is is it actually just Purdy? Is it that simple? And it was probably like eight point seven percent, seven point six percent. Ah, do you know who number two was? Is it Mahomes? It is. Do you know the percentage? It's got to be like seven point one. 6.3. He was 1.3% wow. higher than Patrick Mahomes. But touchdown rate is the most obvious pr- predictor of regression. Like, come on, this is not helping your But still, argument. I'm saying <laughs> Purdy was the man, man. That's all I'm saying. He got people the ball. They did the damage. That's what I'm talking about in this offense. And I understand touchdown is you don't want to chase touchdowns. It's impossible. It's it's like you said, it's the most easy to project from a regression standpoint. Nonetheless, even if he were to move down. Yeah, let, me make sure you're, let me make sure you're not jacking up his touch. Oh, my God. You can't, you, <laughs> you're projecting him for 7% touchdown rate this season? Come on, man. Uh, because I have him on limited games. Yes. You can put him at 6. 6%. Five you can put him at 6%. The um, overall, he was 2% higher 
than Joe Burrow. Nearly. That's crazy. That's fluky. It's fluky. That's <laughs> touchdown rate is like, man, you're you're not gonna talk me into a quarterback being good because of his touchdown rate. Like all right, all right. Then let's move on to, to another step. <laughs> talk about under pressure and in the red zone. Okay. Crunch mode, Dario. This is where oh, this is where when me- you said let's move on, I thought you meant to different players. You just no. mean other stats about Purdy. We're moving on to other stats about Purdy. Yes. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my 15 minutes of Purdy here. We got an hour long podcast. So Let's talk about impressive under pressure in the red zone. Okay. His performance under pressure was very notable, Dario. Very notable. <laughs> he finished number two in pressure completion percentage at 55.8%. It was only behind Justin Herbert, who was 57.1%. And additionally, Dario, he <laughs> Dario, Dario is just so done. He led the league. Wait, entirely. wait, up when, when we're done with the Brock Purdy stats, will you? <laughs> He led the league in red zone completion percentage. Everybody, number one, Dario, number one. Man, I was really looking forward to that nap today. <laughs> All right, one more and I'm done. One more, <laughs> one more. He was number seven in true passer rating. Right, that this this is a stat you can take to the house. You want a discount touchdown rate? That's fine. True <laughs> passer rating, number seven in the league, ninety four point eight one percent. True passer rating. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty good. And that you said that was number one in the league. No, number seven. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, it's like again, this is the <laughs> I got I, I do find it really amusing how you use data analysis to to play around with your snap qualifiers so you can actually <laughs> compare Brock Purdy to everyone else because he he, re- he basically didn't qualify for any rate stats last season as no this is that's why I specifically said two hundred fifty two hundred fifty snaps you know <laughs> I I went and I, uh, I was writing this entire article I had to see and what the, are, are the qualifier you, was going to be. Are you in I, Washington right now? Because that's in, a I'm lot of cherry picking. You almost made me spit my water out. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what though? Had he played the entire season, Dario? Oh God. I I think that we'd be talking about more stats here, like overall touchdown numbers and overall yardage. Because man. It, you look at at what he was able to do in that in that short span. Imagine if he had 17 games under his belt in this <laughs> offense. Uh, I don't know. I I imagine that if he had 17 games under his belt, it would have started showing that he was a seventh round pick. That's that's. I think that's that's where uh, that's where Dario drew. <laughs> All right, we will agree to disagree on this front. Let's let's move on to the running back position, or we should we just say we'll talk about Christian McCaffrey. Um, our RB one this year, we we do not have him projected for fifty percent of the rushing yard, forty five percent to be exact, two hundred twenty one carries, thousand uh, rushing yards, and eight touchdowns. Mitchell is projected as the number two with thirty two percent rushing share, one hundred and fifty eight rushing attempts, and about seven hundred rushing yards. When he's been healthy and on the field, Elijah Mitchell has actually been pretty damn good. I know there's fear when there's been some fear discussed amongst other analysts was Christian McCaffrey's role when Elijah Mitchell was on the field. Does this scare you at all in 2021? I think it scares me from the sense that I think that if we're going to see 30 point per game, Christian McCaffrey ever again, like I, I don't think we can get that while Elijah Mitchell's healthy, but we're going, to, I, I anticipate we'll get 20, 22 fantasy points per game. Christian McCaffrey with or without Elijah Mitchell in the picture. He's simply too talented. He was the way he was utilized in the receiving game last year is it, it was seamless. I mean, he he was getting, you know, I think he he was really the last piece of the puzzle for the way that offense was being schemed up because with a running back that could win on any route on the field, they basically had five skill players who could all do literally anything with the ball on any play. It was completely insane and the way that they took advantage of that with McCaffrey and had him run routes and that they did target him as a legitimate weapon out of the backfield not just the way that Arthur Smith talks about Bijan Robinson and <laughs> empty words or Jameer Gibbs like every year there's hype about a running back being used in the slot or just as a weapon but McCaffrey is genuinely the only running back in the league who gets that kind of usage and he was more efficient than ever in this offense. I think, yeah, like is like it sucks to have maybe that expectation of 25, 27 points per game be a little bit diminished. But 
I think he's still clearly the alpha among the running backs because he's capable of that. Very like no one else currently at the running back position has has ever really or like you know currently in the league right now has that upside that they've demonstrated. And then also no one else has like that's a, it's still a pretty safe floor I think in terms of getting to that that 20 PPR points per game because he's going to get targeted. So yeah, the only concern I have is the snap share, right? We look at, and there, there was very seldom times where they were on the field together last year because, of course, the trade and the injuries uh, with that, you know, happened to Elijah Mitchell. But we can look at weeks 10, 11, and 12 in particular, which was was when, when we had here. So we have Christian McCaffrey here at 63.8% of snap share, 69% of snap share, and then we have 64% of snap share during those three weeks. Those three weeks were when Elijah Mitchell was on the field. And then we don't see Elijah Mitchell again until week 18. And then during that stretch here, we go 80%, 83% snaps for uh, Elijah. I mean, sorry, for Christian McCaffrey, 67.8, 95, 74, 82, right? So all significantly higher than his like 60, mid 60 range because Elijah Mitchell's on the field to spell him. Red zone touches go down slightly as well. None of them had a touch in Arizona, but we saw Christian McCaffrey see like four, five, six during those other weeks. He saw two when we had Elijah Mitchell on the field during week 12, because Elijah Mitchell also sold two. So I can see a scenario where Elijah Mitchell does eat into maybe some of his upside. I still think, though, the passing game and his, uh, his yep. you know, total route rate like he's he's just so involved inside the passing game 93 percent route rate 87 percent snap rate 100 percent route rate right and so this is where it's propping up his fantasy stats as we saw him last year you know he 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 dominated He, he had 85 receptions 741 receiving yards and 13 total touchdowns and so i think that elijah mitchell probably eats into more of his early down work but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for Christian McCaffrey. I think it's going to keep him healthy. It's going to keep him fresh. They're not going to have to run him between the tackles as much. He's going to get into open space and he doesn't have to carry the ball 300 times. He can carry the ball 220, 230, 240 times. So I'm, I've heard some of the news uh, analysts being concerned about it. I'm not concerned about it. I do think it's worth discussing though, because it's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, this is why at Player Profiler, we had Christian McCaffrey as the RB1 last season ahead of Jonathan Taylor. It is that next high gear of upside that 99% of running backs don't possess. I mean, you talked about those games where you're concerned about snap share in the 60s, but he had six targets in each of those three games, six, seven, and six. So that is just ridiculously good usage for a running back. And I, I was going to make that same point that you just mentioned if, if you hadn't gotten around to it, which is that, you know, Christian McCaffrey is going to be 20, 28, 27 years old this year. And if keeping a little bit of tread off his tires and playing 65, 70, 75% of snaps is the new normal for him, but he's still getting those five, six targets per game, the red zone looks, he still has that talent and that efficiency and those route running skills to be an elite fantasy weapon without necessarily being a pure 100 touch, 100% of the touches bell cow running back like we did, like we saw in 2019 when he just absolutely set the world on fire. Let's move to the passing game before we wrap things up. Let's talk about Brandon Ayuk. Let's talk about Debo Samuel. Let's talk about George Kittle. Uh, these are the three that we need to touch base on inside the passing game outside of Christian McCaffrey. As of today, we have it Brandon Ayuk leading uh, in in overall targets between these three. Debo Samuel, of course, has his electric ability on the ground as well. Um, and we also have um, George Kittle, who has just been a beast after the catch. How do we think this offense is going to be? How is it going to look, right? Because it's uh, it could have very two diff, very different looks this season. One of Trey Lance is the quarterback and two if Brock Purdy is the quarterback. I think we could both agree that from a passing standpoint, the pass catchers probably get a boost if it is Purdy. Mm-hmm. I think they get a slight downgrade if it is Lance because he is going to have a tendency to run the ball and hasn't been as effective throwing the ball. But what's your take between those two quarterbacks? How would you rate these guys? Because currently, right now, we have George Kittle as our tight end four. He comes in 59th overall in our top 300. 
Okay. We have Brandon Ayuk as our wide receiver 37, who comes in 75th overall. And then we have Debo, who comes in as our wide receiver 18 and 37th overall, again, because of the rushing ability. How far do these guys move if it's if it's going to be Trey Lance all year? I think that there's definitely going to be some air coming out of this offense if it's Trey Lance all year. I mean, it's it's so hard to give this offense a fair look in that scenario because, I mean, you look at the Trey Lance games and it was the literal like monsoon in Chicago in week one last year. And then he gets hurt in week two. So it, it's it. I think that maybe we'd be making a mistake to just completely assume that they're going to go super, super run heavy and, you know, be like 10, 12 pass attempts per game. Like, like we have seen in the limited sample with Trey Lance. And that's just because it is an extremely limited and biased sample. So I think that we'd probably just shave a little bit off of these receivers just for the sake of caution. Maybe they each drop three, four, five spots within the receiver ranks. I don't think that it would be enough to put, I mean, actually, now that I'm looking at it, I think I would probably put Dallas Goddard ahead of George Kittle if uh, if we knew Trey Lance was was the starter, but right now our projections are are assuming otherwise. So, but I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, well, I think that's it, Dario. We got through another successful podcast assessing projections for uh, the NFC. We've already talked about the NFC East. I talked the NFC North with Bradley inside the Dominator. We get the NFC West today. Uh, we'll probably tackle the NFC South next week, or we could just skip it because it's kind of disgusting. It's um, very disgusting. We will we will we'll discuss that behind the scenes. I'm sure the people want to hear it though. So if 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 you don't want to hear it, let us know in the chat and we will skip it and come back to it at a later point. But as of today, it is on the calendar for next week. Um anything else you got planned this week, Dario, that you want to shout out? No, I mean the the injury finder app launched yesterday so that's huge i mean if you guys haven't already downloaded the injury finder app you can go in there look at our 2023 injury forecasts i mean we've got the injury history for every fantasy relevant player we've got an injury risk projection for every fantasy relevant player so that's a percent chance that they'll miss two or more games and then a fragility rating for every relevant player which basically takes into account how fragile are they how likely are they to get hurt on any given touch, and that's just on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most fragile, guys like Rashad Penny, Sterling Shepard of the world. But that's that's been obviously a huge lift behind the scenes, and we're very excited to get that out into the hands of the people. And, you know, that'll help you guys inform your draft decisions. And I think that, you know, we, we did extensive research this offseason of how the injury finder predictions did last year, because last year was the first time we did it. And they low-key kicked ass so if you're not downloading the injury finder and your league mates are then i think you're going to be at a bit of a disadvantage all right give us one player that shocked you that you saw them on there put you on the spot man i think that it's just crazy like rashad penny is is in a world of his own <laughs> when it comes to fragility rating like it's like I mean, broke the scale we we know it it's it's obvious but like it's really it's really remarkable when you actually just like open up the app and look at his injury history and you have the little little body diagram and it's like any any injury you can think of it seems like Rashad Penny has had it but I think another one that comes to mind this is a little bit more of a a sneaky nugget for you guys is that Terry McLaurin hasn't been on the injury report since week five of 2021 so his his injury his fragility rating has just been dropping year over year because he has been an absolute stud when it comes to staying out on the field. You know, hope thankfully this year Carson Wentz is on the picture, so hopefully we'll get a, a rebound season from Terry McLaurin because he's an absolute stud. That's awesome. I love hearing that about Terry McLaurin. I love Terry McLaurin. He's been. I just need to see him catch a few more touchdowns. But that's it, folks. We'll catch y'all back here next week on Man vs Machine. We'll talk more projections. Till then. Have a good day.
Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.